0: Today's reading is Ezekiel chapter 1 to 315. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kebar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi by the Kebar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upwards. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright And lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in one of any of the four directions the creatures faced, The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still, and when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one towards the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings— Like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking.
1: He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, This is what the sovereign law says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though their briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretch out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you, because they are not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, for they are a rebellious house. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his dwelling place. The sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. Then the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. I came to the exiles who lived at at Tel Aviv near the Kebar River, and there, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, overwhelmed. This is God's word.
2: Now, it's not because I've um, taken to feeling like a, a boxer <laughs> entering the ring. I was just seeing how, hard, um, how loud, in one sense, the, uh, the speakers could go. But uh, it was not very loud, was it? It was hardly overwhelming. But this vision of Ezekiel is pretty overwhelming. That was not. But how do you have felt if you were that man? What you made of the vision Probably didn't understand all of it and what was there, but to have been there to pretty overwhelming out of thought. Let me leave us in prayer as we begin. Our Father, you know these are strange words, a strange vision to us. Would you please, uh, by your spirit, help us understand what's there. Help us understand what it means today? Perhaps above all, would we fall down on our faces before you? Amen. Now, God is not safe. Uh, A number of years ago in a uh, former church uh, where I was based, it was a morning service and I was taking the children's slot. And the the children's slot was on the holiness of God. And I always quite like a little visual. Uh, so I'd, uh, man- I can't remember, I managed to get a load of police hazard tape or keep out tape, crime scene tape. You know, the sort of red and yellow. And uh, in front of the children, I sort of set it all out, this big sort of area, set out the hazard tape, um, big sort of zone marked off. Uh, As God says, you can't come near him. If sinful humans come near him, you'll be destroyed. So God says, S- stay clear. Because God's a bit like this. And I had a little Bunsen burner, uh, which I lit. And uh, the, uh, the vicar, his eyes uh, went up a, up a little bit. God says he's like this. He's a consuming fire. That's why children, you all need to stay stay out and don't come anywhere near. I was holding the thing. I didn't just, woo-hoo. I kept it, you know, a big hazard area. It's because the problem is we're like this man. And I had a, uh, a wallpaper man, a uh, man cut out of wallpaper. We're a bit like him. And if we come in too close, this is what happens. And um, brought Paper Man up to Bunsen Burner. And uh, vroom, up it went. Now, a number of things happened at that point. <laughs> some, of the, some of the children just burst into tears. <laughs> For a number, there was a very gratifying, oh. <laughs> of course, from some of the teenagers, there was a bit of a, "hm, cool. Uh, but the vicar... The vicar just sort of looked at me with absolute horror, particularly as, you know, i had been sensible. i would taken my precautions. I had a metal bucket uh, all ready to go, and I dropped the, the paper man into the metal bucket. No problem. There was sand at the bottom. It was fine. But, I mean, you know, paper does that sometimes annoying thing. There was one bit that just sort of floated off. <laughs> it's really annoying when that happens. Uh, and so this one piece of paper floated off, and I looked at it slightly anxious while the vicar sort of ran down the ran down the aisle, I think, hopefully concerned for uh, someone in the congregation, possibly for some antique thing um, that was there, so trying to catch this sort of uh, flapping bit of paper uh, that went down. Now, of course, the next day we met up, and um, his feedback was strong <laughs> to me, and uh, just to decide for the staff, you've heard nothing, uh, this was a full-on, full-throttle, what do you think you were doing, you idiot? Do you not realize how dangerous that was? To which I slightly said, well, God is quite dangerous, isn't he? And I think I made the point quite well. That didn't. (laughs) That didn't pacify him. But. Recently, I met a kid who was 12 at the time. He remembers that slot. (laughs) Even though it was nearly 10 years ago. So, you know, sometimes it's good. But God is not safe. God is not safe. He is holy, as we've sung. He is loving, but dangerous if you're an enemy of His, if you are not reconciled to Him. God is not safe, He's dangerous. Now, well, we're starting tonight in the book of Ezekiel, and I don't know how well you know it, if it had dropped out of your Bible, if you'd have noticed uh, the book of Ezekiel tucked away in the Old Testament. Not everyone's most popular book. It has these slightly obscure visions, and the language is a little bit, ooh, and it's easy to read and think, hmm. Anyway, back to the Gospels, and uh, they make a bit more sense. But I guess that if you read this book of Ezekiel, the one thing you have to come away with is God is magnificent, and holy and not safe. And it's a deeply humbling book because it's not complimentary about us as humanity. It as if you are, as we naturally are, one who rejects God, one who mistreats others, God is very dangerous. And perhaps the dominant refrain of the book is uh, what the title of the series will be called. It's just, it's for the sake of my name. Repeatedly throughout the book, God says, I'm going to do this for the sake of my name. And you know what? It's not primarily about you people, he says. It's about my reputation and my name. And that's why I'm going to do everything I'm going to do. So uh, one of the most uh, famous passages comes in the middle of uh, chapter 36, uh, a great promise of what God will do in the future it goes a bit like this. Uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I'll show you the holiness of my great name. For I'll take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from the countries. I'll bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from your impurities, from your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you for the sake of my name. So God is very clear, particularly in Ezekiel. He acts to rescue people. He acts to lovingly save people because he cares for them. But... Supremely, he acts for the sake of his reputation and his name. That's very humbling to us. But that's the God we meet in Ezekiel. Now, uh, uh, just a brief bit of um, uh, history. Uh, Just so we understand where we are. We're told at the beginning of uh, Ezekiel, it's in the 30th year, that's uh, Ezekiel's 30th year, I think. A little, uh, in the fourth month, dot, dot, dot. I was among the exiles by the Kibar River. The heavens were opened, I saw visions of God. It was the fifth of the month, the fifth year the exile of King Jehoiachin. Now, let's just try and orientate ourselves a little bit in biblical history, if you know lots or know none. Uh, The Old Testament, then, primarily concerned with the Israelites, God's people, Israel. And uh, all the way back, in, uh, much earlier in the, uh, in the Old Testament, they become a nation living in a land, Israel. So you've got Israelites living in the land of Israel. Now, various things, the, the, the nation ebbs and flows. But calamity comes initially in 597. So in 597 BC, Jerusalem is inva- sorry, Israel is invaded. Jerusalem is besieged by the Babylonians. Their king is a very nasty man called Nebuchadnezzar, deeply unpleasant. So secular history tells us, as well as the biblical. So Bahia besieges the city. Uh, so the city gives up. It uh, opens its gates, lets him come in. Now, policy at the time, he didn't destroy it or raise it to the ground. He just took the elite out. So he took, according to one Kings, uh, sorry, two Kings 24, he took about 10,000 leading people out of the city and out of the nation. So if you were anything in the military, anything in the po- uh, polit- political realm, anything in the business realm, everyone, the top elite, the cream of society, taken away. So it's a decapitation strategy. So all you're left with is people who have never led anything. You're never going to have a rebellion from these, this crowd because I've taken away all the elites. So 10,000 taken to uh, Babylon. And they were living, so we're told, by the Kibar Canal system. So they're living in some sort of shanty town. If you've ever been to uh, fringes of Johannesburg, a place like that, a shanty town, that's where these elite are now living. So that happened in 597 BC. Five years later, that's where we pick up the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel gets his first vision. There he is in Babylon, one of the exiles. And uh, we'll see a number of things he's told, but one of them is in five years' time, Nebuchadnezzar is going to go back to Jerusalem and raise it to the ground. Destroy it. So for five years, Ezekiel gets this great message. Do you know what's going to happen, everyone? Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. So that's what he gets to preach for five years. That, that does happen, 587, and then um, uh, he preaches another 15 years good news. So the book, basically, chapters 1 to 33 are the first five years of his ministry, from 592 to 587. Well, basically, he's saying God is going to judge for these people. And then uh, chapter 33 to the end, chapter 48, the last 15 years of his ministry, it's good news. It's good news. So hold out for that. It's good news. So That's how the book slightly works. So there's Ezekiel uh, 592. He'd have been a bit glum. He's 30 years old. He's a priest, son of a priest. If he'd been still in Jerusalem age 30, he'd have started his profession. Age 30 is when you got to be uh, serving in the temple. So that would have been his graduation ceremony. That would have been his 21st birthday when he got a car. That would have been his first paycheck. All rolled into one, age 30. So it's his birthday, perhaps. He's 30 years old. And he thinks, what am I doing here? Where is God? God, you're meant to be ruler over everything. You're meant to be sovereign over the whole earth. And yet your people... Defeated in battle, we're living in a shanty town, conquered by this nasty man who is abusing us, Nebuchadnezzar. Why am I a believer in you? Now, the rest of the exiles, you get a similar sort of pattern. There's a mixture amongst them of foolish daydreams and despair. So, a number of them have a fo- foolish daydreams. Don't worry, don't worry. Next year we'll be back to Jerusalem. Next year God will send us home. And others say, no, it's hopeless, it's hopeless. God has abandoned us. There's nothing to do. We've just been left alone. Now, at that point, I'm not sure the the, the, the gap between the 590s BC and, and the 21st century are that different. Because Christians also go through that sort of mixture, particularly in the West. Well, you know, um, soon, soon, and you get this, this this craziness of yesterday, God is coming back. On the, whatever it was, of May, yesterday, at 6 p.m., no less. Uh, well, I mean, tragically deluded. And then some Christians just sink into despair. What's the point? What's the point? There's so few of us, really, compared to the rest of the world. So Ezekiel is preaching to a people who, are both those, some with deluded hopes, many in despair. He himself, probably pretty glum at his lot in life. And God says, Ezekiel, what I'm going to get you to do for the next five years is say to all these people, the 10,000 with you, don't put your hope in a return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be destroyed because the people there have rejected me and you here have rejected me. What you need to do is repent. For five years he gets that message. And as you started to hear in the, uh, the reading we had, the people are going to say, not interested. Shut up. What will keep him going? God gives him a very clear vision of who his God is in this uh, chapter one. And the picture is largely this. The Lord is coming in judgment. That's the picture of chapter one. Uh, let's have a look at it. First, the Lord is coming in judgment. That's the picture of chapter one. Now, I don't know what you made of the, uh, the, um, uh, the vision that was there. Let me try and break it down a little bit. Because uh, the detail is but slightly bewildering uh, in places. There are two, I think, really dominant pictures. There's a throne, verse 26, and it's coming on a thunderstorm, verse 4. I mean, that's the sort of overall picture. A throne coming on a thunderstorm, fire, lightning, etc., coming out of it. God is coming on a chariot to judge people who have rejected him. That's the picture overall. Let's try and break it down a little bit. Three little things. It goes a bit like this. First, then, he seems to be sovereign overall. I think that's the point of verses 5 to 14. That's all about the living creatures. You've got these four living creatures, and they're a bit like a man, but they've got four faces, and, well, it's all a bit confusing. Chapter 10 tells us they're cherubim. Now, I don't know what you think about angels and cherubim, sort of babies that have had a bicycle pump applied to them and harp shoved in their hands. But uh, the biblical picture is, don't go near. They carry flaming swords. They, before you get anywhere near God, you'd encounter a cherub, a cherubim. So next time you say, oh, she's a lovely little cherub, isn't it? Think, you know, just imagine he whips out a sword and starts weirding around. And ugh, Don't tell that to the parents. The, um, but that's the picture. Now, and, of course, they, they look very strange. So they've got four faces. at Verse 10. A man, a, a lion, an ox, an eagle. Now, what, what bonkers creatures are these? Now, to Ezekiel, I don't think it would have been that strange. He would have been well used wandering around Babylon to see gods, statues of gods that had the body of a man and the head of a bull. The body of a man and the head of an ox. The body of a man the head of an eagle. He would have been quite used to those things. So it's a sort of familiar picture to him. The odd thing about here is that these creatures have got four faces and they can move in all directions. And the point seems to be then that, that they can look everywhere. They can look into the four corners of the earth. Nothing is hidden from them. They can move anywhere in any direction, a bit like a queen on a chessboard. and, and No movement is restricted from them. It's very really strange, these creatures. I think that the main thing um, Ezekiel would have taken away from them is they're these creatures, but God is on top of them. So the gods of Babylon, these sort of bizarre creature things, God is on top of them. Perhaps it would have been a surprise to Ezekiel. God is there with him, with the Israelites, even in Babylon, because God is not restricted to certain places and times. God is the ruler over everything. I think that's the point of these living creatures. So God is He's sovereign over all. A second little thing. He's in motion among us. Verses 15 to 21. Now the emphasis here comes on the wheels. Verse 16, this is the appearance and structure of the wheels, dot, dot, dot. Now, you've got to be a certain sort of person to get excited about wheels, um, although we, let's be honest, we have some here from Imperial College. You're engineers and could probably build them. And uh, if you wanted some time off from your revision, there you go. You could read Ezekiel and um, try and make a wheel. Uh, I'm not sure how much barrel you'd get to uh, to make it with. The point of these wheels again is its motion, its movement everywhere. See God, see, the, this this vision. God has taken the, a traditional picture of a sort of God in Babylon, man, funny head. But he's put motion into it. So these creatures, they're on wheels. And the the, the wheels have eyes, which just expresses knowledge. This is a, a, a throne that is constantly in motion. It's driven by the spirit of God. So I guess if you'd have seen it, it would be a bit like... Um, Some incredibly elaborate machinery. Have you ever been to a uh, a car factory or a a newspaper factory? It's just mesmerizing. I once been to a car factory, and you wander in, and and, uh, all these sparks. It's quite mesmerizing, all these things whizzing so very, very quickly. Ooh, ooh, it's very, very sort of interesting. But you get too close, you'd be in trouble. You stick a hand in, that would hurt. You know, printing presses, you see them, you know, and the... um, uh, you know, We see newspapers printed. The, the velocity of these things that they're churning out the newspapers is extraordinary. And it's that sort of picture. And the point is God is on the move. It's not static. It's not fixed. God is not... The sort of air traffic controller that is kind of watching and every now and again makes an announcement to flight 3972 and gets him to move around a little bit. He's not sort of of gently passive, shuffling the pieces. He's in motion. He's moving. God is active all the time. It's not like the Thunderbirds. Just, oh, there's a disaster. I better get involved and rescue people. He's always active, always moving. Expect that. Ezekiel was being told, I am with you. And I am in motion among you. What's that? My encouragement would be, expect that. Expect God to be doing things. Expect him to be active. And sometimes we just slightly lose that. I've had a funny old week. Just the number of people I've spoken to in conversation. How's your week? Well, you know, it's been quite an interesting week. I was praying about my job and God answered all my prayers. It was very, very extraordinary, really. I wasn't expecting him to do that. OK, I've had that similar conversation with about three people. You know, my job was really just chaotic and I prayed about it and it's all come quite well, actually. had this terrible argument with my parents, I didn't know how I was going to see them. And I, actually, I prayed about it and they were really content to know everything calmed down. It went really well. God is active. Those are small, small examples. But the picture here is God in motion. Don't expect too little from him. God is in motion amongst us, expecting to act. And last thing here, he's on a throne of glory, verses 22 to 28. So uh, on top of the uh, the living creatures, there's a sheet of crystal on top of that sapphire throne. On top of that's a man. He's glowing like metal, uh, verse 27, full of fire, 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 slightly terrifying scene. And only right at the end does Ezekiel kind of realize who he's meeting, verse 28. This was, it's quite Cautious here. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He doesn't say, I saw God. He says, I saw the, well, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He's putting distance between himself. He's saying, what I saw, I didn't see everything because I'd have been just destroyed. But God, God drew back the curtains a little bit. Let me see just a little bit. Of, uh, of what he's like, just a little bit of his glory. I don't know if you ever saw years ago. Most of you probably would have missed it. A film, Cocoon. It's a very sweet film about uh, this uh, old age people's home. And in it, there was a swimming pool. And then these cocoons appeared in this uh, swimming pool that had been dug up. And uh, eventually, they're slightly cracked open. And uh, out come these humans out of the cocoons. It's, oh, hello! You're sort of human-looking, but they weren't. They were aliens. It's not a true story. The. Um <laughs> Uh, these aliens come out. And uh, at one point, uh, Richard Dreyfus is one of the, uh, the sort of leading uh, actors in it. He says, can I, can I see what you're like, really? I mean, you know, arms and what, what you look like. And the guy said, you can't really. To see our beauty would destroy you. He said, go on, go on. And this is, he just pulls open his eye a little bit, just to show a little bit of the white of the eye. This is glory. And Richard says, ah, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. He said, well, I warned you, I warned you. You just saw a hint, just a hint of how glorious we are. Ezekiel is saying, I just saw the likeness of the appearance of the glory of God. I didn't see everything. Just a hint was what I saw. And so what does he do at the end of this? Well, he fell over. He collapsed on his face. And that seems entirely appropriate. Uh, years ago, when I was a, a university student, I spent one of my summer holidays uh, uh, in the States working on a summer camp. And lots of people here give up time to give a week for a summer camp. This was slightly different. This was uh, a six-week camp, so about 500 children, 11 to 18, came for six weeks And they all paid then about £6,000 to come for the six weeks. This was 20 years ago, so goodness knows what it costs now. Purpose-built campsite with a massive lake. I had an ice rink on site just for these six weeks. Just extraordinary amount of money in uh, Massachusetts, Berkshire Mountains, And uh, we arrived as staff a week before the children did to set a few things up. And we were told last year we were deemed the second best camp in the whole of the U.S. This year we're going to be the first. And as soon as that sort of, you know, there's money, no object uh, being spent on this thing. It was very, very impressive. Now, towards the end of the uh, the six weeks, every year there was Camp Olympics. And uh, the whole of the age spread, 11 to 18, was uh, divided up into six teams. And it was Olympics. And this was very exciting when it happened. But no one ever knew when it would happen. Well, someone knew, obviously, they had to organize it. But um, none of the children, and none of us as leaders, uh, monitors we were called, none of us knew when it was going to happen. It was kind of, you know, think it was a bit pathetic. Come on, just tell the staff, for goodness sake. But anyway, they didn't. They didn't, because it was always a big deal. And how Olympics began was always with something just a little bit special. One night, uh, towards the end of camp then, 4 a.m., all of a sudden... The, uh, the tannoys in all of the uh, purpose-built log cabins started music blurring out of these tannoys. And it's like, you know, assemble at the lower senior field. Okay, okay. See, oh, for goodness sake. What,
1: oh, 4 a.m.
2: Um, so we all had to go out and assemble at the main field. You've got about 500 children, all the staff, etc., etc., assembling there. Now, what they've done. They had this platform, which uh, the next day we saw was on hydraulics. It was about 50 foot tall. It's taller than this building. I don't know what this building is, but it was taller than this building on hydraulics. We didn't see that. Uh, All we could see was just a certain platform with lights incredible lights blasting out of it, and everything else is just completely obscured by a smoke screen. Now, either side of this thing, they had uh, uh, speaker stacks, extraordinary. So I've been to uh, concerts uh, at uh, Wembley Stadium. It was that sort of size, but for 500 people. So you had this extraordinary volume of noise, these incredible lights really blinding and just really bewildering and um, smoke pouring out of everything. And, um, you know, they had... that's my little thing at the beginning, Grieg, in the Hall of the Mountain King. It was the one I remember, so really blaring. And it was like being in the loudest nightclub you've ever been into. You know when you go somewhere and the music is just so loud that your whole body is just jumping up and down? But it was like that, but just really quite painful. You know, it was sort of, you know, the music was really hitting you. So the youngest children, again, the 11-year-olds, they were crying, some of them. And even the slightly brutal, you know, 15-year-olds were just a little bit, A little bit uncertain, just because the volume was so loud. And uh, what it was meant to be was a UFO landing. Mm -hmm. And uh, out came these six aliens and took off their masks, and they were the six captains. And it was, tomorrow, Olympics begins. Now, off you go to bed, everyone. And I thought, (laughs) what a stitch-up. Now, me and my other member of staff, we're going to this cabin with 12, whatever, 14-year-olds. They're not going to sleep, are they? How hyped up are they right now? They all went to sleep like that. They just all completely gonked. Because they were emotionally exhausted by this 15 minutes of incredible music. An extraordinary volume and lights in quite a small space they just went to sleep they're overwhelmed and that's a bit like ezekiel he's just completely overwhelmed by seeing a hint by seeing the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord he's overwhelmed by that what do we do when we come before the lord that's the living god he hasn't changed of course don't don't think he's changed when jesus came his glory was veiled and yes, we can come near to God now, but do you remember, you know, Hebrews 13:28? Let us offer to God our acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you remember that when you come before him? I remember that when we gather together. That's when God dwells amongst his people, most obviously. God, I don't mind what you do in one sense. Clap, don't clap, doesn't matter. Hands up, hands down, doesn't matter. None of those things matter, but come before him with reverence. If that helps you express it, do it. If it doesn't, don't. If that helps you express reverence, do it. Probably doesn't. If, if kneeling helps you express reverence, do it. Just ignore everyone else. It's slightly gone out of fashion in church, isn't it? Just to kneel, to pray with <laughs> medieval. Why? God's a consuming fire come before him with reverence and awe that's what Ezekiel was forced to realize to come before him unforgiven well that would be like a paper man coming before a Bunsen burner just gone now even in this vision at the beginning there there's a hint of grace do you hear it? do you see it? Verse 28. There's a hint of what there'll be a lot more of in the book. Verse 28. The man, well, he's a bit like a rainbow. Now, of course, early on in in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, the rainbow appears where? Well, in the story of Noah. And it's God's promise that I'll never completely destroy my people. I am coming to judge those who've rejected me, but I'll never completely destroy people. Never do that again. So even here, there's a hint. I will keep my promises. To save a people. Even there. The Lord is coming in judgment. So, a consequence of that. Lovingly warn rebels. Lovingly warn rebels. Ezekiel's message then was, uh, Son of man, go and tell these people, go and tell them that I'm coming. And they need to, well, they need to repent. So lovingly warn them. Lovingly warn them. So what are the people like? They're rebellious. Do you see it? Uh, you must have seen it when it was read. Verse three of chapter two. I'm sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. And that whole paragraph is full of they are rebellious. They're rebellious. They're rebellious. Uh, another uh, another six times there. They're rebellious people. And God judges rebellious people. Now, and that is still the case today this slightly overwhelming vision of this man like fire, like burnished bronze coming on a chariot to judge people who have rejected him, rebelled against him. The New Testament uses that as well, of course. So in the book of Revelation, chapter one, Jesus Christ is. Well, he's like a man of burnished bronze. His voice is like the sound of uh, roaring waters. John sees him and falls on his face, overwhelmed, just like Ezekiel. And in Revelation chapter 1, we're told he's coming to judge. And people who have trusted him, well, they'll be okay. Those who have not, well, they'll wail. Same picture. Jesus is coming to judge rebellious people. Now, much of the book is about this, and we're going to take time to think about that and how that's right and just and fair. Let me just say this tonight. Rebellion, and it's some, it, I guess this year, year, in the early months of this year, the Arab Spring, lots of people looked at that and said that's a good thing. And in many ways it is, of course, people rebelling against t- uh, tyrannous regimes. That's a good thing. But to rebel against a good regime is a foolish thing. So uh, whatever it was, six, uh, eight weeks ago, when you had uh, protests against uh, tuition fees uh, going up, and whatever you made of the issues, most people looked on the news and said, well, there were some people that just got carried away. They just got carried away, and they were smashing, you know, Prince of Wales and Camilla's car. They're throwing things uh, off buildings, and policemen just just getting out of the way. P- the people—they just rebelled too much. They've just gone too far. Most people would have said that. When you rebel against a decent regime, which is under the rule of law and uh, largely administers justice, that's a foolish thing to do. And the biblical picture is that is what we've done. But against the perfect regime, a perfect king who does everything that is good for us and loves us. We've rebelled against him. That is a foolish thing to do. That leads to spiritual anarchy. It'll lead eventually to moral chaos. It's a foolish thing to do. And what people wanted back in those uh, riots was, was police to come and organize. Can we just restore order and discipline? And what God is saying, I'm going to come back and restore order and discipline By judging people who rebelled against me. And so he says to Ezekiel, look, don't be afraid. Don't be surprised. Don't blend in. We won't look at those now. But don't be, what I need you to do, Ezekiel, is to tell people. I need you to tell people, Ezekiel. Because the people, they will mock you. Don't be surprised when that happens. They'll threaten you. Don't be afraid when that happens. But don't blend in with them. Don't just go with the flow. Because Ezekiel, you are their hope. Very briefly, just turn me to uh, over the page, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you'll surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die for his sin and I'll hold you accountable for his blood. God would say to you tonight, I'm coming back. And don't underestimate the sort of God that I am. I am overwhelming. I'm coming back. Now, if you've never done anything about that, will you turn back to me, please? Will you please turn back to me? And we'll see him throughout the book of Ezekiel, God, pleading with his people, making himself incredibly vulnerable. Please, will you come back to me? And if you've never done that, please take time to consider it. For those of us who are Christians, lovingly warn. With tears in your eyes, lovingly warn. Don't neglect the responsibility that God has given to us. Lovingly warn. That was Ezekiel's life. That, of course, is what Jesus Christ did. Loving warning after loving warning. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Because there are two days of judgment in history. There will be one in the future. The Bible doesn't say when it is. Ignore anyone who tells you and they know the date. The Bible says no one knows. There's a date in the future when God will judge everyone for how they've treated others, how they've treated him. But there was a day 2,000 years ago on the cross when Jesus Christ was judged. And all of us make a choice. Are we judged back then when Jesus Christ takes punishment for us or will we face it ourselves? And as we see in the book of Ezekiel, God pleads... Come back to me. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Come back to me before I return. Let me lead us in prayer. Loving Father, this is a somber vision. It is an overwhelming vision in many ways. Would we... Would we feel it? Would we know more of, understand a little bit more of the sort of God that you are? And so would we turn to you? If we're Christians, would we commit ourselves to telling others about you? A God who is returning, but a God who has already come in history. To lovingly save and to lovingly warn. And would we do the same? For the sake of your name. Amen.